1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of I Heart Radio. So in our continued, really unplanned streak of horror movies that involve dancing. Yeah. As promised, today we are talking about Black Swan from 2010. And... Yeah, we are doing a a bit more movies than we normally do this month. It's just because we're such horror movie buffs. (laughs) There's so many to talk about. And I do think that a lot of times, as I said, the, the themes are really interesting and we're talking about what it is we're afraid of, and particularly when it comes to women. I saw this movie in theaters in 2010 when it came out, and this was back when the theater near... I was in college... Um, In the theater near me, uh, every Friday, my roommate and I would go. And the tickets, if you're a student, cost $2. So we just would see all kinds of movies all the time. And we would do double features. So I saw this and King's Speech the same night. And then (laughs) I will talk about it uh, as we go through. But I have some very funny memories of seeing this in theaters for the first time. Because I think the crowd was a bit... So it, it was nominated for a bunch of awards. Right. Um, so I think it was a lot of older folks who were not anticipating the type of movie
2: that it was. <laughs> yeah, that was so unexpected.
1: Their reactions were very, very funny, particularly Aww. to one scene I'm thinking of. Right. But this was probably one of the first movies I watched before, like... I had started on the podcast and before we, you know, one day would start our Feminist Movie Friday and uh, like me and my roommate, my friend, we just sat and discussed it. Like, what does it mean? and What does this say? And what, what about this? And what are we saying about women about here? And it was interesting, a lot of the different takes that we got. And then recently it's been on my mind because a friend of mine said she had watched a YouTube video about like the dangers of perfectionism, which we've talked about and particularly for women, and it used Black Swan as kind of this academic example of breaking down, like, look how uh, deadly this is, or can be. And speaking of a quick sugar warning, we are going to be talking about mental illness, abuse, death, potential suicide. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to go too in-depth into any of that stuff. I know I've told this story before, but this... As a college student, after I saw this movie, first sex dream I ever had. (laughs) Mila Kunis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, I don't know why he showed up. I was going to say, he was not
2: in Black Swan. No, no, I don't know why he was there.
1: I don't think I'd (laughs) seen him in anything. (laughs) (laughs) Just like lingering, waiting. Um, Just hanging out. Yeah, and then I went as Nina Sayers, Natalie Portman's character, to a Halloween party um, years and years ago. And it was a pretty, I have to say, red costume. And it was one of my first forays into making something. And I really liked how it turned out. I still have it back here. Yeah, I really liked it. I also have Which that same pink jacket. Or the black swan one. Oh, the, okay. okay. Yeah, like the ballerina. Mm-hmm. The makeup, gotcha. the eye makeup was so cool. Um, gotcha. Shout out to my friend Katie. <laughs> also, at the time... I didn't realize that Sebastian Stan was in this, and that's only been a recent discovery for me, but he
2: is in this. Yes, he is for a blank second.
1: (laughs) Yes, very quick. (laughs) (laughs) But he is there, and every time I see it, it kind of throws me. I don't know why. I'm like, oh, Sebastian Stan.
2: (laughs) Right. So this is my first time watching it. I've never watched it, never really been interested in it. I guess there's also questions of like, and we'll talk all about this later, but yeah, there's a lot of things like, huh, okay also have a strong feeling about Aronofsky in general, so it's like, eh, why? But yeah, interesting to watch, for sure. And because I've known about it too long, I, I think nothing surprised me. Yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I, 2010, I didn't realize it had been that long. But, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. 11 years. hmm Them and them young selves. <laughs> Natalie Portman's still married to the ballet dancer, though, right? Oh. That's where she met her husband, I believe. On this. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think he's a ballet dancer and they've been together since Black Swan. Huh. All right. There you go. Well. There you go. Some, <laughs> Samantha's facts. random fact. Random of the facts day. that I know. Celebrity fact. <laughs> All right. So let's begin with the movie. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Black Swan is a 2010 psychological horror movie directed by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, it follows a repressed, timid ballet dancer, Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman. Sayers is a perfectionist, constantly pushing herself to be perfect in her dance. Uh, She lives with a very controlling and infantilizing mother who was a ballerina herself until she had to stop because she uh, had gotten pregnant with Nina.
1: Yes. The ballet company Nina Dances for announces the retirement of their prima ballerina, Beth McIntyre, played by Winona Ryder, um, and that their new show is going to be Swan Lake. So they hold auditions for the lead roles, roles that require the dancer um, to embody both the innocent white swan and her evil twin, the black swan. As the artistic director suspects, Nina nails the white swan, but dancing as the black swan is a real struggle for her. Um, And just as she is dancing the difficult coda for the black swan, her concentration is broken when a new dancer from the West Coast named Lily, played by Mila Kunis, loudly enters and Nina stumbles and doesn't finish. And
2: that is the key. Remember this. (laughs) She doesn't finish. By the Mm -hmm. way, I didn't realize Winona Ryder was in this at all. I was like, oh, oh, well, there yeah, she is. I,
1: I, didn't I mention her? That's when you were like, oh, I've never seen that. I was like, what? When we were talking about, because that's kind of the theme of, you know, dying to be young that we talked about this whole thing. Because it's implied that they have a conversation, the other dancers, and it's very implied that she's being forced to retire because she's older. right?
2: Yeah. She's considered too old. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Nina goes to ask the director for the part. And this is after she steals some things. From From the writer's character to try to become more like her which says Mm -hmm. a lot. And he confirms that she is the perfect casting for the white swan, but that he doesn't think she can dance the black swan too. Nina relents, about to leave, when the director asks her why she got all dolled up, if that was all the fight she was going to put into it. Uh, When he forcibly kisses her, she bites him and quickly walks away. The director is surprised by her actions, thinking her incapable of doing something so Mean and forceful. Nina is surprised to learn she has been cast in the lead roles, and the director tells her he wants to see more of that bite. Yeah, definitely a lot of uh uh-oh feelings in this movie. (laughs) Yes. So uh, Nina attends a gala in her honor. She has to schmooze and show off and pretend to be the lead, uh, wearing all white to get donors excited and willing to give them more money. Uh, When she is in the bathroom, she picks at something protruding near her nail and is once again interrupted by Lily, dressed in all black, who is much more free and open and flirty. Uh, She tries to convince Nina to stay and talk to her, but Nina leaves. Later that night, she and the director run into Beth, who is furious at being forced out of the company. She accuses Nina of sucking his cock to get this role, and Nina fires back. Some of us don't have to. And then before things can actually escalate, the director intervenes. His nickname for Beth is Little Princess, seriously condescending. The director briefly takes Nina to his apartment, asking her if she's a virgin, giving her the assignment to go home and touch herself. Uh, Nina tries, but before she can, she is interrupted because she sees that her mother was sitting next to her bed. Super awkward moment.
1: Yeah, so this is the moment when I saw it in theaters where the older clientele in the audience were aghast.
2: <laughs> and like laughing, we
1: were all laughing in shock at all the reactions. It was so great. Because it's like, I believe Clint Mansell does a soundtrack. So it's this building, like dramatic moment. She's like really going at it with this masturbation thing. And then it cuts to her mom right there. And the music goes like, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that moment so clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Once again, does not get to finish. All right, so the next day, Nina finds out that Beth was hit by a car. The director believes that she did it on purpose to end her life. Um, so Nina gets these things, some of best things that she's taken, goes over to visit her in the hospital, and, and Beth is unconscious at, at this moment, but Nina sees that she broke both of her legs and will never will probably never dance probably again. And she sort of flees before Beth wakes up. Back at the studio, the director asks that Nina observe Lily dancing the black swan, commenting that her movements are, quote, effortless and that she, quote, isn't faking it. Lily shares a resemblance to Nina, but has the qualities of the black swan that Nina lacks. Nina begins to see more and more doppelgangers of herself, often a black swan version of herself, more sensual and dark. And she starts to find these scratches on her back the director grows more and more frustrated with her unsensual performance as the Black Swan at one rehearsal asking the other dancer, would you f*** that girl? No. No one would. And then he kicks everybody out and then he dances with her, touching her and kissing her. Um, Then he angrily pulls away and says, that was me seducing you when it should be the other way around. And he leaves her alone. They also laugh very hard at that part because then she runs after him and says, please. And it's like a really awkward moment. (laughs) And the whole audience was like... (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What? (laughs) Lily comes to Nina's apartment to apologize for telling the director to lay off Nina, something that really annoyed Nina and calls the director to yell at her for whining. And she asks Nina out for drinks. And this is one of those, like, There's paranoia throughout this movie, but Nina's like, how did you know where I live? And Lily says, I have my ways. But she just got it from the secretary at the office. But anyway, Nina ignores her mother's strong objections and agrees to go out. Lily offers her ecstasy and she refuses, but Lily puts some in her drink without Nina's knowledge. or like She kind of sees it, but doesn't do, I don't know. I guess she's just going along with the ride at this point. The two drink and dance and flirt with some men. Sebastian Stan included. Nina kisses someone and the hallucinations grow as they dance on the dance floor. When they get back to Nina's place, a clearly still inebriated Nina taunts her mom about the night out that she's had, prompting her mom to hit her Furious, Nina takes Lily's hand and leads her into a room, barricading it from the inside and shouting at her mother to leave her alone. Um, Lily and Nina have sex, um, and the black tattooed wings on Lily's back start like shivering and moving. But before Nina can finish, um, she hallucinates a version of herself in the place of Lily, uh, her mother's voice calling her sweet girl and a pillow being pressed over her face.
2: So when she wakes up the next morning, Lily is gone and the door is still barricaded from the inside. Uh, Nina angrily tells her mother she's moving out because apparently she woke up late and her mother would refuse to wake her up. Uh, She finds Lily dancing the black scene choreography and confronts her about... Last night, and Lily reveals she didn't sleep over unless she has a dick. She actually says that. Uh, Teasing Nina for having a sex dream about her. Nina's paranoia grows as she learns that Lily has been made her alternate. She begs the director to choose someone other than Lily, filling Lily's out to get her. Uh, The director tries to assure her, telling Nina the only one in her way is her which is not wrong. Her hallucinations increase and her behavior becomes more erratic. Someone writes horror on the mirror in red lipstick. She throws away her stuffed animals. She practices nonstop. She's not eating. Uh, She goes to see Beth in the hospital to return her items, but Beth stabs herself in the cheek with a nail file that she gets back. Really gross. Uh, Shouting nothing on repeat, morphing into Nina and all the images her mother has painted of her start moving and Nina flees to her room and hallucinations transforming into a swan, hitting her head, passing out. The next morning is opening night and Nina's mother again didn't wake her when she overslept, saying that she had called to let them know that she was sick and would not be coming. She tries to leave, Nina does, but her mother has removed the doorknob uh, and Nina attacks her mother and recovers the knob, yelling at her about how she was the one that never left the core.
1: Yeah. So Nina arrives to Lincoln Center late and the director tells her he had already asked Lily to fill in for her, but Nina doesn't budge, asking him if he needs another controversy after what happened to Beth. Impressed, the director agrees to let her dance. During the first act, a hallucination midway leads to her being dropped um, as the other dancers carrying her. Distraught, she goes to her dressing room only to find Lily getting ready to dance the black swan, taunting her about her failure and inability to dance the black swan. Lily transforms into Nina as the black swan and the two fight. Uh, so you got your two Ninas, you got your white swan, your black swan. And as they're fighting, they break a mirror, a shard embedding into the black swan's stomach only for her to transform back into Lily now bleeding on the floor. Panicked, Nina hides her body in the bathroom and goes back to the stage to dance the Black Swan, losing herself, just as the director kept pushing her to. Also, that's the common theme. That's the name of the song that often plays. It's called Lose Yourself. And she she does this dance, like, flawlessly. Uh, she, she grows feathers and wings as she does it. It's very... Yeah, you've probably seen that image before. <laughs> Uh, She kisses the director backstage before returning to the stage to thunderous applause, Star Wars reference, Natalie Portman. She goes back to her dressing room to change back into the white swan, only to be interrupted by Lily, who congratulates her on her performance and says she'll let her finish. Um, Nina frantically checks the bathroom, but there is no body or blood. She looks down and realizes the shard is in her own stomach, staining her white uniform with blood. Still, she returns to the stage to finish the performance, catching sight of her mom watching her with tears before she takes the final swan dive, Uh, the crowd giving her a standing ovation. The director comes back to where she is laying on the mattress, praising her performance and calling her Little Princess before he realizes she is bleeding, demanding someone to call for help and asking what she did. Nina says that she was perfect, and the movie ends with the audience chanting her name and clap. Or celebrate your victories.
2: No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one-ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those
1: 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California.
2: The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights.
1: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend,
2: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Yes. So,
1: uh, there's so much I could unpack here. But I did want to touch on, obviously, the mental illness aspect because I know, like, a lot of horror movies, it's a pretty problematic trope in a lot of horror movies where that is used as sort of the horror. Right. And it is clear, like, throughout, you're not sure what's real and what's not. And you're always questioning, questioning that and questioning the validity of her Interpretation of things and of her paranoia. But she is certainly like needed help, one, but was a perfectionist and could not like let go of being perfect and pushing herself to be perfect. But I also think it's interesting this whole aspect of like art and the kind of expectations around it, of expectations of sharing your pain or going through pain or being expected or even applauded when something is painful difficult mentally or physically cuz throughout there's also just all this imagery of the damage on her body <laughs> like right constantly you see the like her toes or how like thin she is and that was i remember when this came out Mila Kunis gave an interview where she said, "Like it looked good on screen, but it was so unhealthy. Like we were so thin, yeah. And just I remember reading about like their diets and how much exercise they did. And um, it's it's weird when you watch a movie that is about art, and then like you learn about kind of the same thing that's happening. <laughs> like yeah. really, as they're making the movie,
2: it's kind of like right. Art imitating life. I guess it's what they always say." Uh, Natalie Portman was purposely getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, but then there was this whole thing about her self harming. So the scratches came on pretty early on, which is when mm-hmm. we see the interactions. It was, I think, even before they started talking about doing Black Swan, even mm-hmm. though they, they had been practicing it already. But like, yeah, yeah this the and that was self inflicted. But she was trying to pretend like she wasn't self inflicted. But that was a habit that her mom caught early on knowing that that was going to pull her to a breakdown. Because she mentioned it's happening again, isn't it? So something had happened previously that made her think. There's a lot to it, of course, but there seemed to be indication that this is a pattern for her and it was part of her Mm -hmm. stress and a part of her reaction to stress. Yes, yeah. And it's, I
1: always kind of thought, and again, I'm someone who reads like perhaps too deeply into things a lot, but I always kind of thought it was like her feeling that she was imperfect manifesting like on her on her body and she cuz she is really really hard on herself and in a strange way that is what holds her back a lot of times is that she's so afraid of not being perfect that she doesn't it, it holds her back but i yeah i did want to talk about the relationship between mother and daughter in this because it's very toxic and back when i was having that, you know, early pre-minty Feminist Movie Friday conversation in college with my friends. One of the things I thought was the most interesting was one of my friends was like, well, obviously there was some sexual abuse that happened. And I was like, what? <laughs> that is not what I picked up on. But it is very, like, I feel like it's a very infantilizing, like she's trying to keep her in, in her little girl state. Like her room is, you know, in shades of pink. It's very childish. She has all these stuffed animals in there. A lot of their, like, her mom calls her all the time and calls the secretary, about, like, complaining about stuff at the ballet place for Nina all the time. And there's this... She, she's just very controlling and very protective and that narrative of, you know, I had to... She even says at one point, you know, like, I had to give up my career because of you. Yeah. And I think feeling that guilt... And and seeing kind of Nina Sayers and Allie Portman's character go from defending Beth and saying like, you know, you can dance into, you know, Fontaine danced into her 40s or whatever. And then at the end, she's like saying, you know, you were old, Bob. Like, it didn't matter that I was born. It was <laughs> too late for you. And that whole scene where she's sort of replacing Beth and in the back of her mind, she must know like, like one day, this is my moment, but one day someone will a younger will replace me as well but all I'd say i think there's a lot of resentment
2: in their mother daughter relationship right i think there's also the conversation of like she saw herself and so wanted natalie to succeed but then when she saw her mm-hmm. succeed she was passing her and leaving her behind so there was this regret yeah. and needed to be needed So Mm -hmm. that's all she knew at that point. So she wanted to push her to that point so that she could be successful. So I thought she was going to be that controlling mother that you see oftentimes when they pour their own livelihoods and expectations into the child. But then it flipped real quick when she's like, oh, she's getting there. But I also think part of her paranoia blew up to making her mom the enemy. There was a lot of bad things and her mom was actually caring for her. She really was like trying to stop her from doing all these bad things to herself in a really negative way. Like it was still toxic the way she was trying to do it, but she was trying to save her daughter's life. So she knew she was going to die. It's That's what it seemed too.
1: Yeah, no, I. it it was just complicated. It was a complex relationship because she was definitely going about it in a very unhealthy way. She has that entire room of just like paintings of Nina and it just feels like at the part where she hits Nina, it's because she said she had sex with two men. And so that felt to me like she was like, oh, you're going to make the same mistake I did. Even though it's implied that she, it was like maybe this director fellow, not the same guy, but like somebody in that position at the ballet place who got her pregnant and was like, you're fired, goodbye. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But definitely there was a vibe of not wanting Nina to make the same mistakes, but also wanting to be very controlling, not wanting her to surpass her, like you said, because she'll she'll say these comments that are very like biting. Mm-hmm. When it it's almost like she's like, "Look, I know you try, you work so hard, you're so good, but you're never gonna get beyond this, and that's just where you are, right. and that's fine, Nina." But it's, Nina's like, "No, I gotta push myself. I gotta push myself. I gotta push myself."
2: Right. It, it was a really backhanded way of trying to slow her down and being yeah. healthy, it seemed. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, there are some moments that I was like, well, did that actually happen or did it yeah. not? So was yes. she actually in the audience or was she not? Because she got her hand crushed twice yep. by her yeah. daughter. Did that happen or was that in yeah. her head? Like which part was the actual mother of what we were seeing?
1: Mm-hmm. I always thought she was there, uh, but you're right. It, it's So much of it is destabilizing in, in the reality and then there's also that scene that it kind of relates to what we've been talking about lately, but where she Nina finds out she gets the part. She's like so happy and calls her mom. And she comes home and her mom has this cake. And Nina's like, no, 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 I can't. It's too big. It's too big. And then her mom is like, oh, it's garbage. It like goes to throw it away. And then Nina's like, oh, okay, no, I'll eat it. I'll eat it. But just moments of that of being like really controlling and dependent on yeah. each other very unhealthy way. <laughs> yeah.
2: right, right, for sure. Like, it was one of those moments of like, okay, she's not eating, but then she just pitched a fit. What? What? So, they're both of those things like, yeah, you do want her to eat a slice of cake. exactly. But at the same time, you don't want the mother to force her and make her feel guilty and gaslighting her right. into doing these things.
1: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I also did want to talk about I feel like we talk about this all the time, but this movie is very much like the Madonna and whore, the good girl, the bad girl. You've got your good, sweet, innocent white swan who is timid and virginal, described as virginal. And then you've got the black swan who is seen as like sensual and much more like free and alive. And there, I mean, there's one scene in this where, because Lily is clearly like, the black swan embodiment. She's... I was watching it last night, even though I really don't need to because I've seen this a million times. But I loved it. Uh, but Mila Kudas is like Rothspart, who is the the sorcerer dressed all in black that casts the spell at the beginning. She's sort of this person that keeps catching uh, Nina's attention. And then at the, the scene where she is like hovering over Nina's shoulder, like she's the devil on her shoulder. But... There's a scene where they they go out to the restaurant and Natalie Portman, Nina, gets, you know, like a salad. And Mila Kunis gets a burger and it's like, like extra cheese and it's rare. And I'm like, this is a cool girl. This is yeah. the cool girl trope right here. Right. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> She's also the one that gets the guy and then shuts down the waiter.
1: Yes, yes. Like, it's very, very flirty... And just paint it as like everything is, you know, easy and light and she's, you know, fun and willing to live life. And Nina next to her is just like so repressed and closed off. And yeah, Lily keeps telling her, live a little. And she is, I mean, Nina is very repressed. But like if we're looking at like the symbolism of what's going on, then essentially it is, yeah, you've, you can be this versional all white, white swan or this very sexual black swan who all the men want to be with, apparently, even though... like uh, when, when he was like, would you f- that girl? And he's talking about Natalie Portman, like, uh. <laughs> All right, dude. I don't know what to, I think about... But there's also a scene where it's just a man masturbating on the subway, like an old man, and he's looking at her... And every time I see that scene, I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm meant to take from this other than, like, she's extremely uncomfortable in her kind of image and how people perceive her as being one way. But you would be. Anybody would be.
2: That's a crime. (laughs) That is (laughs) actually a crime. So... To me, this is one of those moments of Aronofsky making a shock value, demoralizing women. And I know that was the point. He literally wanted to talk about how women are demeaned to these subjects of whether it's for us being the virgin or being a whore. Like you can't be either or you are the overbearing mother, which we've seen a lot, and or the mother who can't protect their children. Those were his Mm -hmm. kind of his themes. I've only seen two of his films. So I guess maybe I'm just generalizing. And but because of what I know of his kind of personality, what he's been accused of, and then what I know of mother, and then coming back to see this, which is one of the ones that made him a big name. Coming back to see this, I was like, Yeah, there it is. Exactly. I think nothing was shocking to me because of these are the expectations of Aronofsky. These are the expectations of kind of how he uses his women in his Mm -hmm. own movies, how he uses women in real life. So to Mm -hmm. me, none of that, and I say this in real life as in like what I've read about him, even in his past relationships and and, and his, you know, all of those things that I'm like, okay, he is that director that I would be very much afraid to have anybody tell me how it was to work with him because of those demands. And again, like I know part of that was because he pushed them because he wanted to see this level of angst and depravity because it was what he was trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Again, this goes back to, and we will probably have a larger conversation of, types like sex scenes and abuse scenes and how far should we mm-hmm. go for in the name yeah. of art? How far mm-hmm. should a woman be pushed? in the name of art. And this is Mm -hmm. one of those prime examples of that, of what we're pushing women to be. And and again, Mila Kunis, I love that she came out with, like, this is bad. We went through something really horrible to make it through this film. But yeah, so Natalie Portman won the Academy Awards for this role. She won it uh, as the best leading actress in a drama. And I get that this is such a big deal, and what she did, and I'm sure she she's very proud of this moment, but that's that level of, where are we pushing these artists? Which is that same thing that he was, it was very meta in that he was kind of accusing the ballet industry of abusing their women, but in actuality, he did the same thing for this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So I feel like, to me, like, scenes like the masturbation scene is literally to put back into perspective of, yes, how innocent she is. And, oh my goodness, it almost to the point that Yes, we're supposed to feel creepy about it, but also normalize it as if you should expect it for this to happen. She should have expected it as this beautiful young dancer on public transportation that an old man is going to masturbate to her. Like it's, and again, like I said, I could be stretching that to like angry feminists of why do we have to go to these lengths for us to be successful, us being women and being taken seriously, and that's mm-hmm. kind of that level i not going to lie, and I think we're going to talk about it in a minute, but like, I felt like the same scene with... And I, I get there was a point, but the sex scene between Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman felt like it was for the male gaze more so than the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's interesting because I, like I said, I had my first sex dream after that. <laughs> I was turned on. But now that I'm like older... It is kind of like another example of queerbaiting. And queerbaiting is really complicated. We talked about it in a whole episode. You can look at it. But I was I was kind of like, let them get together, even though it was very unhealthy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I did want to talk about what you were just discussing is this uneven power dynamic between, especially in this case, the male director of the ballet and... Allie Portman, specifically, I mean, Nina, but all, all the ballet dancers, really, but in this case, her, and just has so many instances of like him abusing his position in the name of art, like you were talking about, like really going too far, but it being for the art. And it is because Aronofsky is that's kind of what Mother was about is like, you know, men taking women who are their muses and putting them through some to make the art that they'll be credited for, awarded for, and then throwing away that, you know, traumatized woman who was their muse. Right. So it is it is weird, and sometimes you see a movie and you're like, or I like books, because every time I read a Stephen King book, I'm like, so this is you, Stephen King, this is your character, this is based right. on you. But yeah, it's not good if you're like, ah, oh, are you, like, vibing with this ballet? <laughs> art director. Hmm. Right. Yeah.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just
2: sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. So this whole movie was
1: apparently kind of inspired by the, quote, shadowy world of understudies and doppelgangers and kind of taking that and then turning it into a psychological horror movie. But also, yeah, about um, ageism and this whole just idea of getting replaced, which I thought was interesting because as you watch it and Nina is having hallucinations and paranoia, you are unsure of, like, okay... I mean, understudy is kind of there to replace you, but how much of this is
2: paranoia? How much of of it is Lily actually trying to sabotage you? Right. Hmm. Right. At what points was she really there, and was she real? Like to me, I, I noticed when Lily shows up to the apartment, the mother doesn't acknowledge her. The mother doesn't yeah. see her the entire mm-hmm. time. The mother doesn't talk to her. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if she was actually showed up, as opposed to maybe like she went out with her. And and they did go out, but she never showed up. Like yeah. I wondered both of those things because I purposely watched the mom's reaction. She never acknowledges as if she was there. Yeah. And that's, and I see her growing concern when she's talking about. So it could be that she's growing concerned because she's leaving the house, or she's mm-hmm. growing concerned because she's having an imaginary conversation with no one there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always like upon after the movie is done. The first time I thought that she had been there, but I think, yeah, she wasn't there. The way it's shot is like Lily is kind of like over her shoulder, yes, and saying the lines with her as she says them. Um, so I don't think she was there, but it is, you know, all these things that you've got to question. Um, and there is a lot of like elements of gaslighting throughout where you're kind of can't tell how much of it is gaslighting and how much of it is something did or did not happen, um, a hallucination. Right.
2: Well, to be fair, the original Beth was thinking that
1: the -hmm. entire
2: time that Natalie Portman, Nina's character, was coming after her. And she didn't want her to be the... Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if maybe this was a rerun of what happened to the person before her, but it kind of was that same insinuation that you're trying to be me. You're trying to replace Mm -hmm. me. And she kind of was because she stole her to look like her. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and then at the end, when she goes to visit Beth at the hospital, Nina's like, I understand now. She's out to get me. She's trying to get me. And Beth's like, you stole my things. Right. (laughs) And then it devolves from there. Okay, but I did want to talk about this because back in my, when I first saw this movie, I thought that the whole thing was about the female orgasm. Okay, interesting. Yes, because, and you know, we're going to use some language that's not totally, uh, I guess problematic is problematic in how we think about orgasms and how sex works. And orgasms don't have to be the end-all, be-all, but that is how we discuss them a lot. But throughout the movie, there's so many lines where it's like, just let her finish, lose yourself, and it's like constantly... Every time she's on the verge of a breakthrough, of losing herself, of an orgasm, something happens. (laughs) She's interrupted. (laughs) And so I thought the first time I saw this, I thought it was about the fear of the female orgasm. Because when she finally does finish, she dies and or is very injured. It's that at the very least. Right. And it's definitely like maybe that's not what the whole meaning is, or maybe I was reading too much into it. But that is the theme throughout is that she never gets to, she is repressed and she never gets to have this sexual experience, a sexual orgasm.
2: But doesn't she finish with Mila Kunis? No. Does she not? I thought she did.
1: Mm mm. Nope, because she, they were like on the urge, the, the edge, I guess. And then she looks up and it's her own face and then the pillow in her face. And so she does not. Plus, she probably wasn't. Well, who knows what was happening at that point if she was <laughs> masturbating or <laughs> I right. don't know.
2: Was there yeah. also that
1: cab scene too? Yes. I'm assuming
2: that was a hallucination as well. But. Right, mm-hmm.
1: right. Mm-hmm.
2: My assumption as well. Yeah, I would not have gone there. That was not my thought. <laughs> That's an interesting take, Fair. Annie.
1: <laughs> See, this is what I love about when you have these conversations <laughs> with friends and there's like feminism involved. I'm like, I think these people involved in this movie are afraid of a lady having
2: an orgasm. <laughs> my thought was that a, a woman cannot be fully human. Mm, that was mm-hmm. a my whole thing until like she gave everything up of herself and right. then sacrificed yourself and then you could be credited as human.
1: Mhm. Like a, yeah, or either just the of
2: any value
1: the art yeah of having to really put your your health, physical and mental health on the line. And I guess that would include not having orgasms. <laughs> I could. I mean, I, it's just so funny. That's why I've wanted to talk about this for so long because I was so adamant about it. And this was before I really, you know, I was, I was learning more and more about feminism and how we talk about these kinds of things. But I'm just surprised that I, I was so strongly of the opinion at this point that that's what it was about. And it, it, when I say like it's problematic in terms of, you know, as we've discussed in a lot of recent episodes, it's the orgasm doesn't have to be the end or right. the, the you know the thing but a lot of the music when she's like masturbating and you know almost there is building like it's like leading up to this which does make sense but that also gives like the narrative of just let her finish like and that is the end all which it doesn't have to be but i remember i was like shouting that at the screen at one point I'm like just let her finish <laughs> It's the whole reason I wanted to talk about this. Obviously, there's a lot of, like, <laughs> themes that I have thought about. <laughs> It'll change the way you watch it. <laughs> it's more of like, I see where your head's at,
2: Annie. I see where your head's at.
1: I mean, again, the first sex dream I ever had after this movie. So maybe my head was in a very specific place at this point in time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, hey, you do you. Yes. Well, Let it speak you. to you how it needs to speak to you.
1: Yes. You know, I appreciate that, Samantha.
2: I will say, like,
1: at the time when this came out, I don't think... It was still pretty... And it still is pretty risque, even though, you know, it really shouldn't be. But to show a woman masturbating, I think that was, like, the first instance I had seen it.
2: And I'm sure it's even more shocking because it was Natalie Portman. Like, there's so many things to who she is as an individual that, Mm -hmm. like, having... Again, this is very much her role. Like, to me... Mm -hmm. Yes, this was suited for her from jump, from being that plain innocent, being very, like, all of these things. Even though, even as a child, she never was a child actor. Like, we know this. Her first role was really, really deep and dark and a fantastic role, but like, oh, this should have been for an adult. Right. But there's no way any other child, like, she really pulled it off as a child in these roles. But at the same time, you still have her as that innocent, young, all-American sweet girl. So having her masturbate, as a timid, almost herself, as almost what we would expect of her, like it's a character for her, to do Mm -hmm. that, is shocking in itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, also at this time, now you're making me analyze all my stuff that was going on, but I just (laughs) bought my first vibrator.
2: I just learned about masturbation. I feel like there's a whole awakening that ties to this movie for you.
1: I think so. I had never thought about it in this way. (laughs) Thank you, Samantha. <laughs> so at the time when it came out, I don't think I'd ever seen anything like that. I I was even like, is that how you masturbate? I didn't know. <laughs> People were like, no. <laughs> it can't be, but I don't think I'd seen like a sex scene between women or if I had not like that. Yeah. Clearly it stuck with me and this is what I, at the time, I was like, ah, orgasms. That's what you took from it. Got it. Yeah.
2: Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a lot to say in itself.
1: <laughs> I feel like you're judging me, but it's all I'm right. I'm
2: <laughs> not judging you at all because I was like, "Huh." And I think you told me this before, and it didn't click. And then watching it, I'm like, "I still don't get it." But okay, <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> no, I'm I do you. get
2: it. I do get it. Mm-hmm. I felt like that I was like that would have been never the conclusion I had come to. Then again, I have a lot more. Uh, I was already tainted by so many previous conversations about this movie in general. So I was already very aware of kind of some of the things that were floating out there in conversation to this movie. Not your conversation. That was new. (laughs) (laughs) What I have perceived.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I will say, like, if this was a different podcast, we'd go more into it. But there was also controversy about how much dancing Natalie Portman did do actually do versus what they said she actually did. And then also around the costuming and who got credit for the costuming. But it seems very complicated. Right. <laughs> it seems like a lot of hearsay. I don't want to... D- I'm not coming out on anybody's side. I'm just saying I know that that exists. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: yes. And just FYI, yes. So, she married Benjamin Millipede, who is a French ballet dancer, and he was the choreographer. Oh, interesting. And he played David Moreau. So I don't know. I don't don't know. Oh, I think that's her partner in the movie. Oh. So yes, this is how she met her husband. Oh, all right.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I could keep going on and on because I just have so many thoughts about so much of the stuff in this movie Um, and just also the pressure for women to feel perfect and the pressure to put up with, stuff we really shouldn't have to put up with because that's right. where the industry was. I mean, pretty soon after this, the ballet industry did have their whole Me Too movement. I mean, I guess a couple of years, but still, like, they they underwent that as well. And uh, there's just a, a lot <laughs> about, yeah, the art that goes in into this and what we expect of women. But otherwise, if I keep going, we'll never stop. Um uh, right. Yes. I did also, you know, briefly want to say, I think it's interesting that the dichotomy of the white swan, black swan, the Madonna, the whore, like you get praised, but also penalized for being the sweet girl, the innocent, the virginal one. But people like the black swan better because she's flirty and fun. I don't know. I find it interesting that there's like punishments involved in both if you stray out of your box but also judgments involved in both. Yeah.
2: All right, lots of things.
1: Lots. Of things. <laughs> um, well, I'm so glad we finally got to discuss this cuz it has been uh, since 2010 been on my mind <laughs> apparently. But as always listeners, if you have a suggestion for a movie, a book, a topic, anything. Please contact us. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuffonevertoldyou or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff on Never Told You's is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.